<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, sports fans, if you're pissed off at cable news and other very serious political analysts these days, here's an outstanding way to support independent media specifically this podcast, of course. For just $5 per month, you can support the Bob Seska Show Patreon page as we guide you through the madness and chaos of our politics. But it's not just about supporting shows like this one. You're also going to get bonus content as a reward for your monthly support. We're talking about exclusive access to our post-mortem show recorded after the end credits on our Tuesday and Thursday shows. You also get access to the Patreon app where you can download the free show and our bonus content. Plus, you can join the discussion with our community of Patreon members in the comments under each episode you're going to get all of that for just five dollars per month pennies per show so don't miss out again that's bobseskashow.com bookmark it send it to all your friends and we thank you in advance and now let the cartoons begin the bob seska show bob seska oh yes i hate this it is revolting more please the bob seska show From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, September 1, 2021, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, what's up? My name is Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello, day 225 of the Biden-Harris administration, 431 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska and on Twitter at BobSeska underscore go. It's Mary Trump Day on the show today. We're going to be talking about her brand new book, The Reckoning, one of the most important books of our time, dealing with our national trauma following the Trump presidency and the COVID pandemic. Links, of course, in the description under this episode at bobseska.com. Seriously, if you're going to read one book this year, if you can make the time for a book, let it be this one. So today we're going to talk about PTSD. We're going to talk about some of our national history, reconstruction after the Civil War and the lost cause in particular. And most importantly, how we can best navigate an increasingly stressful political world. Meantime, if you can, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content at bobseskashow.com. Okay, here's me and Mary Trump. Do you watch Lower Decks? Do you watch that Star Trek show? I've seen, I saw maybe three episodes a while back, probably last year. What am I missing about this show? Why should I watch this? I'm, you shouldn't. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. You're not missing anything because there's nothing. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it seems like an unfunny version of Family Guy set in a, you know, a starship in the Federation. And they're all assholes. Yeah. They're total assholes. <laughs> 
I'm so relieved to hear that because I feel like, man, am I just being a curmudgeon? Am I just, am I too particular about my Star Trek? Well, there's no such thing. Come on. Okay. Too particular about your Star Trek. No, (laughs) it's absurd. And I don't, I mean, if there's something to get, I don't get it. Okay. Well, I have no idea why they're doing it. I have no idea what they're doing with Star Trek these days, but, you know. I have no idea why it's still on. I, I know. mean, did it get picked up again? It's, Just, yeah, and I actually, I gave up on Discovery. Oh, my God. What what convinced you to do that? Um, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say gave up. I took a break from it. Yeah. Because they, they kept adding people and uh. get, like, diluting the power of the group and yeah <laughs> losing focus on the you know and and they i don't know they just kept getting rid of people i liked and adding new people that i there's just no time to get to know them really and i'm not i, I don't know I, I, am, am i missing something i don't know but maybe it takes usually 75 episodes for a star trek series to find its footing i mean that was the way it was with uh next generation or it was, it was more like two seasons like more like 50 episodes yeah. And now we've got these shows that are in shortened seasons. So yeah. you've got to do many more seasons to get to the point where do you like, do you like discovery? Uh, you know what? I only have seen maybe a few episodes in season one oh, okay. and I, I have to go back and rewatch, but uh, it obviously didn't grab me cause I kind of stopped watching. Um, right. And, and I, I think the other problem with the first season of discovery is it has one, it is probably the worst scene of television I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> what scene like is that? Cringingly bad. Um, it, it's just between Michael and the tall guy with the weird feet. Yeah. With a memorable um, name, obviously. <laughs> yes, exactly. The guy with a really memorable, memorable yeah, name. Right. Um, so, you know, that was a kind of problematic for me. And um, although, I don't know, you're right. It takes yeah. time and yeah. it does matter that there are only 10 seasons, 10 whatever episodes. Right. It yeah. definitely yeah. is a game changer in terms of how things unfold. Um, actually, I think, did I mention this last time we spoke? I I, w- I started rewatching uh Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that. That actually did not take a lot of time to get good. No, not at all. In fact, they were cranking on all cylinders. By the time Deep Space Nine came out, it was, uh, they could basically do no wrong. It was Deep Space Nine, and then right on the heels of that, Voyager, I think they were mm-hmm. overlapping, and um, yep. it was like the golden age of Star Trek in the modern era. And then something happened after Voyager, and I'm not sure what that was. Uh, Alex Kurtzman, probably, but I don't know (laughs) exactly for sure. (laughs) But anyway. And also, like, I I mean, I I don't dislike Picard as much as you seem to. Oh, I I, I haven't watched the second season yet. Yeah. Um, But I was really, I had high hopes for, uh, um, what was it called? The... um, spinoff the the discovery spinoff they were going to do with um, oh right with pike yeah yeah i don't know anything about that but you know i mean with picard i didn't hate picard i i'm fine with picard it was just some weird choices in there that i was hoping they would reflect more of the next generation atmosphere of that show and they kind of started to do that at the beginning but then they lost it. It became more of a discovery kind of shoot 'em up show, which is not yeah. really, I like my Star Trek long and boring. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Honest and like really character driven. So now yeah. it seems like it's all about the action with the like social message, just kind of really just 
ridiculously blunt and unsophisticated. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, everybody's gay, everybody's transgender. And that's mm-hmm. great. I obviously have no problem with that, but it's just like, it's a statement. It's not part of the story. That's exactly right. Yeah. They're lacking compelling characters. They're lacking compelling stories. And I'm not sure what the formula is. I don't know what's missing. Uh, You know, we all had our complaints about Rick Berman during the next gen movies, but you know, Mm -hmm. look, I I think he, he knew what Roddenberry wanted more than anyone else who wasn't Roddenberry. So I think uh, that's true. Yeah. So maybe, you know, you give it back to Rick Berman. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to be the solution or if that's going to be creating all new problems, but yeah, it's kind of a hard time to be a Star Trek fan right now, I think. Almost well, as hard to be as a, a Star Wars fan, too, which I am. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, a whole I, other I story. That's probably why I'm rewatching Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And then we'll probably rewatch. Actually, you know what? I'm so ashamed to admit this. I've never watched Voyager. So really? I know you think less of me now, but um, no, I don't. I don't. But it's my list. it's definitely worth watching. It's a different kind of show. It's much more like Next Gen than it is Deep Space Nine. But uh, oh, that's great! For, I love Next uh, Next Gen. Yeah, and love of course, it. it's got a great cast. It's got a memorable cast and some cast interesting storylines. I love the character with Seven of Nine. Yeah, Seven of Nine, and and Kate, Kate Mulgrew, of course, is amazing mm-hmm. in that and. Tuvok is a compelling character. It's got some interesting stories in there, plus lots of the Borg later on. It becomes right. very Borg-centric later in the series. So. I think it came out, though, when I, I... There was a long period of time when I didn't watch TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, I think it was around then, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, Because I'm not sure if I watched Next Generation in real time. Yeah. Either. So anyway, yeah. I'll get to it, because uh, I'm still... Because the other problem is, despite the fact, even though it's, I mean, I think it's, a, we're in a bad Star Trek time. Mm-hmm. Even if it were good, 10 episodes doesn't take you very far. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And you know what? Generally speaking, Star Trek is better than most. Even the, the shittiest yeah. Star Trek is better than the best episode of other shows, especially shows well, that try to copy it. Except for that one scene I'm talking about, which will <laughs> make you rethink all With the, of your, the guy who we neither like, of us remember his name. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, I think his name is, in real life, his name is Doug something. Yeah, yeah Doug exactly. Yes. Doug Jones. Yeah, yes. yeah. Doug Jones. Do you, do you watch the um, the vampire? It's like, a, oh my God, my brain. I, I will say no. Before you, even say, before you even say the name of it, no. If it's the, a vampire thing, Probably not. Oh, but it's it's funny. It's yeah. it's like Big Brother in a vampire house, and it's by the guy, the Australian guy who did uh, Jojo Rabbit. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, Taika Waititi, yeah. Yes, thank you. Right. Um, another name I can't remember because it's so common and boring. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Doug Jones guest starred in an episode, but that's why I thought of it. But anyway, uh, it 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 is true that Star Trek is generally speaking better. Also, just in the context of the universe, like. You know, and, and I, I'll give me Star Trek over Star Wars any yeah, day. Yeah. Although I do, I love Star Wars. But. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Star Wars is my main thing. But with Star Trek, the problem with Star Trek is it runs off the rails when they try to not be Star Trek. They just have to own being Star Trek. Exactly. And when they don't own being Star Trek, when they kind of apologize for being in a Star Trek universe, that's when Star Trek sucks. And uh, I think that's, and you know what's that's it. Really weird, like, 
Ted Lasso wouldn't have happened without Star Trek. <laughs> that is also true. There is a similar kind of hope and optimism, especially with Next Gen and uh, an overlap with Ted Lasso. God, that's a great observation. Thank you. Yes. But it's so, true. And then when they run it, when they exactly when they apologize for, you know, holding up a vision of hope and kindness as if we don't need that right now. Yeah. Oh, my God. It is. It is depressing. Yeah. Ted Lasso came along at, at just the right time. And I'm speaking not even in a societal sense. It came along at a good time for me personally. Because I've been experiencing this, and I guess it's a good good way to segue into the reckoning, your new book, um, post traumatic stress disorder. I mean, I, I mean, I haven't been diagnosed professionally, but I feel um, a sense of unease and uh, you know occasional depression. I mean, since since being vaccinated, it's been this ongoing uh, process of of trying to evaluate how I feel about all of this and how I should not only relate it to other people, but how I should deal with it myself. I mean, for me personally, Mary, it was four years of nearly falling over backward in my chair every day. And that constant sensation, I always describe it this way. There's an old Stephen Wright joke where he talks about leaning too far back in your chair and you catch yourself just at the last minute before you fall over backwards. And he says, I feel like that all the time. And that was the the punchline. And I feel like that all the time, right? At least I did for a good long time, waking up every day to a new disaster, a new insult, a new set of crimes against democracy. But for you, it must have been particularly difficult for you, given the direct family dynamic, that connection there. How are you personally coping with all of this? Well, first of all, this sort of reminds me of another Stephen Wright joke. Uh, he says, I walked past a diner that had a sign in the window that said breakfast served any time. So I went in and I ordered French toast in the Renaissance. Um, <laughs> yeah. Classic, I wish we yeah. could choose which time to be <laughs> right. <laughs> no kidding. Um, it's, uh, I think I, sometimes I need to do, I think what I say in the book, which is, don't deflect. Don't say, hey, you know, other people have it so much worse, mm -hmm. which is true. But that doesn't mean it's not terrible, right? Yeah. Um, just because other people, so many people have it worse, doesn't mean that we're all not suffering. Mm -hmm. And for me, the probably, oh, I just sounded like George Hahn. For me, <laughs> I don't know if you know who he is, but yeah, uh he's, a great, he's a great Twitter follow. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> and he does this uh, parody of right wingers saying it's all about, you know, for me. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, of course. Um, so the hardest aspect of it for for me is what you just said, the personal mm. stuff. It, yeah. And and it was certainly that way at the, uh, after the 2016 or before and after the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. And then the infinitely worse thing was just this uh, horrifying um, intersection of what was happening with COVID in my life. So, you know, as I write about in my first book, my dad died alone in a hospital he'd never been to mm -hmm. because of Donald, who was at the movies. Wow. And um, I also have terrible asthma. So because of Donald, Hundreds of thousands of Americans suffocated to death alone. Yep. <laughs> and that continues to blow my mind. I just kind of can't grapple with it. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, the problem with trauma, and I think this is probably what you're experiencing, is that once you're traumatized, every subsequent trauma takes a bigger toll than it might have otherwise. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, you know, the, the ground gets softened by the original trauma. Yeah, yeah. And we've been re-traumatized. Those of us who care, anyway, those of us with empathy. I said this to a friend of mine recently, like, it's a terrible time to be a person with empathy. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> you know? Oh, God, yeah. It's like we we feel things deeply. And um, so a combination of that and the sense of helplessness and the sense of that the people who should be fighting for us aren't. It really, really, really takes a toll. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, anybody feeling like you feel should definitely see see what is going on because that's the other problem with this uh, timeline um, is that you absolutely could be suffering from PTSD because who hasn't been traumatized? Um, by the same token, it could just not just, but it it could be stress related because the stress we've all been under is oh, yeah. insane, mm-hmm. but it could also be physical because the stress takes a physical toll and the isolation takes a physical toll. So how do you, how do you even sort out what's really going on uh, in a way? I'm not going to say I'm lucky I had PTSD already, but it did help me negotiate, I'm sorry, navigate some of this because I knew when I was having symptoms because Mm -hmm. I've had them before. So that took a lot of the uncertainty out of the equation. Like, oh, I'm dissociating. Oh, this is because of that. Oh, I got triggered and I understood it. Mm -hmm. So not not having that knowledge um, just adds to the confusion. I think. What are some of the symptoms of PTSD that we should all be looking out for? Um, anxiety, uh, like hypervigilance, startle reactions, depression, dissociating, which is when you just kind of check out, like you're still aware of what's going on around you, but you just kind of don't feel anything, which is my favorite symptom. Um, and in really bad cases, depersonalization, which is the sense that you're not real, mm-hmm. um, or derealization, which is the sense that nothing's real, which is quite terrifying. Yeah. Um, those two are actually quite terrifying. So it's important. Um, I wish, I wish the government was doing more to educate people mm-hmm. about what could have could be happening to them. Um, like there should be PSAs or something teaching people about depression and about uh, anxiety. And I mean, I just think about like what's what's going on with substance abuse disorders or domestic abuse situations, PTSD, stress related illnesses. because we're still in the dark and we're still isolated. And I swear we're going to go into another lockdown now in the the not too distant future. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a a terrifying prospect. I mean, you were talking about uh, disassociating and um, one of the symptoms being not really grasping what's real and what's not real. I think one of the things many of us are coming to terms with, Mary, is whether our anxiety is based on a genuine assessment of our politics. In other words, 
are things we're observing about the rise of Trumpism and all of its uh, aftermath, are those things legitimate or is it just partisanship? And, you know, I cover this stuff every damn day. I've talked about it for my entire professional career. And I'm sitting here and I'm wondering, am I getting bent out of shape just because I'm a partisan or am I getting bent out of shape because these are all legitimate concerns, whether it's the big ones like climate crisis and pandemics. And then you come down the line and you talk about the insurrection and then you talk about all of the indignities of uh, the previous administration. And I'm constantly evaluating in my own head whether these things are just being seen and shoved through the prism of my partisanship or whether these are legitimate concerns that are creating this anxiety. If we're experiencing these emotions and this trauma, are they based on substantive real-life things? Uh, Absolutely. There's no question Mm -hmm. that our concerns are legitimate. Um, We get proven right every day. What's maddening is how well the right makes us doubt the legitimacy of how we feel because they mirror our attacks in a quite effective way. Um, So when they scream communist, socialist, Marxist, Leninist, which makes no sense, and we say rightly fascist, yeah. Then it's yeah. like, oh, you know, they're both just calling each other names. Um, when we take the insurrection as seriously as it should be taken, then suddenly they're saying it was like a tourist visit. You know? yeah. So um, they're always um, it's it's sort of like um, er- eroding the the ground upon which we stand. Yeah, exactly. Uh, slowly over time. So the fact that they do that so expertly, they co-opt language so expertly, makes it even harder for us to make our case because sometimes nuance and, and, and complexity are what, what's required. You know, it's, it's hard to put some things on bumper stickers mm-hmm. or in a tweet. Um, so that just makes it all worse. But I think it's important to own it and and not uh, drive yourself crazy by questioning it. I mean, how how can we not think that catastrophic climate change is a real thing about which we should be deeply concerned, mm-hmm. or that um, uh, a the person sitting in the Oval Office inciting an armed insurrection isn't something that needs to be dealt with uh, with with a lot of ferocity yeah. and uh, righteousness. Um, so, again, the problem is just that they, they counter us very well and they project so well. And I'm at the point where I, I just don't listen to them anymore because mm. uh, until the media start doing their fucking job, jobs and ask them, well, either, you know, if you're going to have somebody on your show, you ask them, the first question you ask them is, you know, was the insurrection bad or whatever? Hopefully they'll phrase the question more eloquently. <laughs> and if the, if the answer to that question is anything other than yes, 
cut your mic and say yeah. goodbye. <laughs> um, and also ask them to define your fucking term. Sorry, I'm mm. swearing. I'm so mad right now. Um, That's fine with me. Texas. Um, oh, actually, SCOTUS. Um, what what is what is Marxism? What is in which in what way are Democrats uh, far left? In what way are they are they communists? Mm-hmm. Define your terms. Yeah. I I know why the Republican Party is a party of fascists. I know what a theocratic apartheid state is. I can explain it to you. They never, they are never asked to explain themselves. And you know, one of the things I've noticed too, Mary, is it's not just coming from Republicans. It's coming from people, commentators, people of influence from outside the political debate who look Mm -hmm. in and see what we're, you know, discussing on Twitter every day or on Facebook. And they're like, oh, it's just both sides, my team versus your team. That's all this politics is all about. And to me, that's a form of gaslighting that makes us seem like, well, I guess I am imagining all of this. I guess it's not a big deal because it's just, uh, again, it's just both sides butting heads and, oh, I hate your team and they hate my team. And and that seems to diminish the degree and volume of the concern. And that that's one of the things that makes me go, well, am I blowing this out of proportion? I mean, what's what's happening here? Oh, it, you're not. It's so dangerous what, what's, what's going on mm-hmm. um, because the the whole horse race model of media and um the the fact that um they need to normalize everything Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. is is one of the main reasons we're here like i i realized this in 2017 you know nature abhors a vacuum and so too do the american media (laughs) um they need somebody to be presidential um they need somebody that fits their narrative mm-hmm. um, or they need to make the person fit their narrative. Um, so what do we do about that? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's why, honestly, that's why on Twitter, I only follow people who agree with me. Yeah. It's sort of the thing. I mean, I, the number of times I've hit high reply block on Twitter Um, not only because someone's trolling, but just because I don't want to fucking hear it. (laughs) I, I, too many times to count. It's, uh, it's one of those defense mechanisms that we have to employ. And I'm glad that it's there. I'm glad that feature on Twitter is there. Otherwise, my God. And we still get the news. It's just filtered through friendly voices. Mm -hmm. So it's not, I don't feel like, and obviously Twitter isn't my main news source. I'm just saying, you know, it's not like I'm living in in some kind of bubble, Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't, I I am absolutely at the point where I don't want to, I don't want to hear what they have to say. I'm not interested in anything, any Republican, um, elected Republican or voting Republican has to say. Yeah. They are dangerous um you know I, on twitter today it's all about texas taliban and sharia law in texas no it's not the taliban it's not sharia law it's american republicans mm-hmm. we don't need to compare them to anything else they are are um this horrifying mix of white supremacist white evangelical um kleptocrats essentially yeah and, you know, they're just as bad as, as the Taliban, but they're not. They're just a bunch of old white guys who uh, want to turn this country into an autocracy. 
Yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because I've kind of bristled at the notion of describing the Republicans as Taliban or as Nazis, where there are elements, obviously, of overlap. You create a Venn diagram between the modern uh, mm-hmm. Trumpism-centered Republican Party and Nazism. There's lots of overlap of those two Venn yep. diagram circles, certainly. Definitely. But what it does, by confining it to the definition of Nazi, we end up missing some of the things that are unique to what's happening now with that particular faction uh, that doesn't get described when you're describing what Nazism actually is. But ultimately, mm-hmm. you, you have to define this faction for what it is. And it's not necessarily something that we've seen in the past. Right. And, you know, that you make the exact right point. Nazism it was a fascism peculiar to Germany. Yeah. You know, we're going to need, unfortunately, it might, it, we might be stuck with Trumpism, which is not good <laughs> for me personally, <laughs> but um, be, I mean, partially too, uh, because it, it's not Donald. I mean, this has been a long time coming. He's the face of it for sure. He, he um, got the ball down the field much farther than any other Republican would have dared. Um, but the problem is people like Mitch McConnell mm-hmm. and well, all of them who enabled him, you know, they used him, they enabled him. And here we are. Um, so it's going to be very important to be clear about this because like you said yeah analogy the analogy can be helpful but only to a point Mm -hmm. we need to deal with what is actually going on because to use too many metaphors it 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 does it does diffuse the um the threat yeah that people should really be feeling (laughs) um you know because it's not um I guess, you know, they feel like it's over the top or whatever, Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which is why, again, we need to be really clear about defining our terms and, and be very careful about how we use language. But we also do need to use the language. We do need to say fascist. We do need to say theocratic, mm-hmm. apartheid, et cetera, et cetera, um, yeah. insurrectionist, seditionist, et cetera. Otherwise, um, we, I guess a lot of people are just going to pretend we're still living in a free and fair society that's a democracy <laughs> with free and fair elections, and none of that's true. Oh, I know it. Okay, we're going to take a short break. Back with more Mary Trump right after these words. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Bob Seska Show. How do we best confront friends or family if they're suffering from trauma, post-traumatic stress, and so on, and we're noticing some signs that, okay, well, this person who I know quite well 
is acting differently. They're more erratic. They're more aggressive or, you know, some of the symptoms that uh, you were listing earlier uh, on top of all of that. How do we best confront those people if we see signs, see the warning signs of all of this? Uh, You mean if they're not recognizing it? Yeah, if they themselves aren't recognizing it, which is it's hard to self-diagnose. So it's, you know, because. Oh, yeah. 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 And one shouldn't really. Right. Um, <laughs> although, I, you know, we need to be aware enough to, to th- realize we might need some help for sure. Um, it's it's tricky um, because, well, like, I, I guess it depends on where they're coming from. You know, uh, if they're open to to it, that's that certainly makes it easier. Um, but I think it's just like who who isn't feeling horrible in some way. And I think one thing you can do is share your own experiences. And because unfortunately we still live in a society in which mental health is some kind of luxury and mental illness still has stigma. So like if there's any shame involved, which there shouldn't be. And that's why I talk about my PTSD openly because it's not, there's literally nothing to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that happens to people um, is just share how you're feeling. And then you can segue into your concern because mm-hmm. you know how bad you're feeling and you can imagine what's going on with them. And if they're, especially if they're not talking about it, cause that's just going to exacerbate and compound the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I guess see how it goes from there, but um, I hate the idea that people who are struggling with everything that's going on either feel they either can't seek help or are are suffering so much that they don't even notice yeah that it's it's something that's changed in them um and again that's that's where like having having uh PSAs or whatever it would be or something. I don't, I think they need to um, create a new cabinet position Yeah, just to deal with the mental health fallout from COVID. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it should go hand in hand with having vaccines. There's a mental side to this that a vaccine won't cure. No. And you said it earlier and, and this is exactly <clears throat> what I've been started thinking about last fall. Uh, I can't believe it's been, a, it was a year ago and I we're know. still in this mess, right? Um, that we're only going to see how bad things are when people start emerging. Now, I didn't realize that we were going to have to go back into hiding again, yeah. but, you know, with the vaccine, we can um, not go back to normal completely, but still get out more than we did. And I think a lot of people thought that it was going to be a miracle cure in terms of the mental health stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And as you say, <laughs> vaccines don't do that. And it, it was really, and when we started all going out, like you, I, I have friends who are extroverts who suddenly had serious social anxiety. Um, I had friends who are introverts who were suddenly like not careful about being around people because they craved human company so much. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have, I, I have so much rage. Like I never used to be an angry person. Mm-hmm. I never, I, I never used the word hate. I never really felt hate. 
oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Rage and hatred. And that's that's really bad for you. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. really, really unhealthy. Um, so the best, uh, again, the best way to approach somebody is to normalize it to the extent that, hey, you know, we are all in this together. And it's not just COVID. It's it's how we're feeling. Yeah. And how we've been feeling. But I I feel much more cynical now than I was Mm -hmm. ever before about my fellow human being, certainly my fellow American, where I feel like, well, millions and millions of people are letting us down. And that generates this degree of cynicism like, oh, God, well, I can't trust anybody because anyone who confronts me on the street or I pass by or I sit next to in a restaurant or walk next to at a grocery store, they're breathing poison irresponsibly. And it's going to negatively affect my entire life and everyone I know potentially. (laughs) And to me, that's the mindset that I wish I could somehow shake off. Uh, But I've seen too much video of people acting out and doing stupid, irresponsible things. In fact, Mary, I'm so glad that you wrote this book because it's such an important approach to this period of time in which we live. And and one of the things I was noticing, I was noticing how drivers have become more aggressive on the road. And sure enough, when I did some research, there are reports from all around of an uptick in reckless driving since last year. And likewise, the number of FAA investigations into unruly airline passengers, which we've seen many, many videos of, has in fact tripled this year. It's at its highest mark since they started counting them in 1985. It's at its highest level this year than any previous year. It seems like people are acting out more than usual. Uh, and people normally act out in our narcissistic social media driven nation. But this is a new level of aggression that we haven't seen before. Yeah, it's it is in the driving statistic you just referenced. Think about how many fewer people were driving last year. That is true. And yeah. Still, there was this enormous mm-hmm. increase in aggressive driving, dangerous driving. Yeah. Um, I actually wanted to write a chapter about this in the book, but I ran out of time. Um, <laughs> you know, the psycho- psychopathology of largely white women, but exclusively white people having extraordinary temper tantrums, like literally toddler like temper tantrums. Oh, yeah. In public, because they were either, you know, they were asked to wear a mask or. Who knows? It's like something stupid or they, you know, they needed to pr- show proof of vaccination. Just epic meltdown. Mm-hmm. And it's not uh, it's it is hard sometimes to know. Is this just anecdotal and inaccurate? Because, of course, that those are the videos that are going to get posted on Twitter. Right. But you're right. You know, the data you you reference show that yes, indeed, uh, there are increases in this. And it's it's really difficult to figure out what, what it's about. And I think it's because it's about so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the worst, th- among the many, many despicable, diabolical things Donald did was give permission to people to be their absolutely worst selves. Oh yes. Cause he's always his worst self. Cause that's his only self, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that plus this decades long um, project on the right to promote ignorance and belittle expertise um, 
to drive this anti-science rhetoric, um, to keep people uneducated, to convince people to vote against their own self-interests, et cetera, et cetera, um, I think has increased their people's sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this, this increase in I want what I want when I want it and this in- incapacity for delayed gratification. Um, so there's a lot, there are a lot of factors that go into it. So it's, it, it is hard to isolate what, what are the most significant, Yeah, but it's really disturbing because you can say, and I have, I've been saying this for a while that yes, when I go somewhere and somebody's not wearing a mask, I'm furious with them. However, you can't entirely blame them because a lot of these people voted for the people, put their trust in the people who are telling them not to wear masks or telling them not to take COVID seriously or telling them not to get vaccinated. So the blame lies squarely with Republican leadership, starting with Donald on down. Um, However, throwing a temper tantrum, threatening other people in public because they had the audacity to tell you to wear a mask, attacking um, waiters, um, people who work stocking the shelves in Target, cash cashiers, whatever, attacking them for doing their fucking job, mm-hmm. which is now includes trying to keep people from getting killed by COVID. There's no excuse. There's no, you can't say, oh, well, that's because of Mitch McConnell. It's, it's, creepy yeah to yeah. see adult human beings behaving like dangerous toddlers yeah and it was a reflection and it remains a reflection of your uncle's behavior as president and what i think a lot of people didn't understand certainly going into the 2016 election if not the 2020 election is that Yes, this isn't uh, we're not electing a dog catcher here. The president has influence. The president sets the tone for the country, not only in terms of our politics, but in terms of our overall demeanor and behavior in society. And it's now I mean, that observation is writ large. I mean, we see it every damn day. We open up social media and there's a new video of someone reflecting the same kind of attitude that was drilled into their heads from the bully pulpit for four years. And that's part of the damage that has manifested as a consequence of that presidency, that it has coarsened our society and already coarse society. I mean, we went into the Trump presidency already being somewhat damaged by our politics, but now it's far, far worse because Everyone thinks, well, the president talks like that, so why can't I? The president's demanding all of this, that we fight, 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 so why can't I? And that seems to be the prevailing attitude. Yeah, why do I need to be kind? Why do I need yeah. to care about other people? Um, why can't I uh, be racist? Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, one of the biggest failures of the media for which we're going to be paying for a long time was its uh, um, inability to treat Donald, the 2020 candidate, as the criminal, twice impeached um, traitor that he was and Mm -hmm. is. So it was like, we know, 
and the, obviously the Republicans certainly knew that Donald, there was plenty of evidence to remove him from office both times he was impeached. Mm-hmm. But simply because they didn't, the media, once again, treated him like a normal candidate, as if the fact that he didn't get convicted in the Senate meant anything, as if it exonerated him somehow. Right, right. Um, so that, therefore, gave 74 million people the opportunity to endorse everything he did. Mm-hmm. And I think that increase in 12 million people also shows us how the disease was allowed to metastasize when between 2017 and 2019, the absolute worst dregs of our society were represented by 100% of the federal government and their despicable views weren't just endorsed by Donald, they were championed by him. As you said, the guy with the most powerful bully pulpit on the planet. So here we are. Yeah. I'm well, you know, in, in part one of your book, and this is sort of pivoting on the, the racism aspect of this, because what, what we've all seen is that with the rise of Trump comes the rise of racists just being more open about their racism than maybe at any time in the last 40 years. I mean, I remember racists being very open about their racism when I was a little boy and yeah. there were, you know, restaurants like Sambo's and so on. Yeah. You could see it just, it was everywhere. But since then it dissipated, but now it's coming back. And in your book, and in particular part one of your book, you write about reconstruction. And this is sort of, this is right in my wheelhouse. What what are the some of the connective threads between 2021 and that post-Civil War era? I, I think there are unfortunately a lot of yeah, them. Yeah. Um, and that's right. You're, you're a Civil War guy. So uh, you know this stuff probably better than I do. Um, I don't know about that, but yeah. <laughs> Um, Reconstruction was, should have been a time of enormous potential and actually quite extraordinary things were accomplished. Mm -hmm. 13th, 14th and 15th amendments were passed, but, um, you know, in the, at the end of the day, it was a, it was a monumental failure because, um, white, uh, white Northerners were pretty friggin' racist too. Yep. And they chose to make common cause with the traitorous Confederacy rather than continue to support uh, Black Americans Mm -hmm. and um, basically abandoned Black Americans in the South who had the franchise stolen from them for the next 100 years. Um, And we're still dealing... One, we're, we're, we're still fighting for voting rights, which is yeah. obscene. Mm-hmm. But to me, the, the most heartbreaking thing um, is imagine what this country would have been like politically if uh, that hadn't happened, if, if Blacks had been not just extended the franchise, but actually been allowed to vote and influence uh, their government. Oh, yeah. I mean, think Mississippi had two black senators during Reconstruction. Oh, think yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just horrifying. Um, and I, I think also just the the utter unwillingness 
of whites in power who may be on the right side of things, but, you know, their unwillingness to fight for it, for God's sakes, Mm -hmm. and just make concessions that aren't necessary and that end up um, putting this country or turning this country in a direction that is antithetical to what they claim to want. Um, It's, I, I don't, quite understand how Republicans during uh, Reconstruction and Democrats now <laughs> didn't understand and don't understand the threat. And a lot of it had to do with the lost cause running concurrently yep. with Reconstruction and certainly after Reconstruction. That's when the lost cause really blossomed into a full-blown societal crisis for anyone mm-hmm. who wasn't a white guy. And right. one of the things with the lost cause was First of all, it was much more damaging, as far as I'm concerned, to post-war America than actually ending Reconstruction. Uh, Obviously, ending Reconstruction gave rise to the KKK and pursuing any black person who decided to run for office, driving the ones who had already uh, been elected to office out of office, just terrorizing black people in the South. And that would continue on for, uh, you know, 100 plus years. But with the lost cause, there was this attempt to, as you said, unify the country by creating a common enemy and black people like both northerners and southerners could agree. Oh, yeah, those black people are terrible. Let's unite around that. And that manifested all kinds of awfulness that we see still today. I mean, the lost cause is as alive today as it's ever been. We see that with, you know, the the controversies over removing some of the statues and some of the protests that arose out of that leading in one case to the death of Heather Heyer in Charlottesville. These are all ideas and uh, damage to our country that we're still grappling with today. And it seems like every once in a while, the lost cause gets new fuel. And I think the last four years and that presidency and what it has allowed, that's lost cause, full blown. And I I don't know how it gets bottled up again. Well, uh, Bob, first of all, you actually answered your question about my book better than I did. So... (laughs) That's good. I don't know about that, but okay. No, you did because that's actually, that's a, that, I mean, it's what I said was part of the answer, but the lost cause is, is the most important part of the answer because mm-hmm. it's not, it's not just it's that it's, you know, rears its ugly head once in a while. It's worse now. It's been legitimized. And this to me is um, one of the reasons we need to look back before moving forward um, and hold people accountable because it it's not just the last four years. It's much worse. It feels like it's unraveling really quickly, but the reason it is is because this has been, we've been working towards this crisis for probably since the reconstruction. Yeah. Um, Gerald Ford pardoned Robert E. Lee. That's insane yes it is um so it's bad enough that there are still statues and and of him and publicly displayed that he was allowed to to live after the civil war let alone be successful he was a president of a university which was then named after him Mm -hmm. it was washington university now it's still washington and lee university named after the traitor responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths Sound like anybody we know? Jimmy Carter, in this 
bizarre effort. I, I guess Democrats can help themselves. Hey, maybe it will help him get some votes on the right. Pardons Jefferson Sessions. Mm-hmm. No, wait, wrong. Jefferson Davis. <laughs> Jefferson Davis. Yeah. It, it's That's easy to mix those two up. Sentence. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Very easy mistake to make. Absolutely. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. After all, Mary, Robert E. Lee was just fighting for states' rights. And that's kind that's of right. noble because it's right there in the Tenth Amendment. That's the nonsense of the lost cause, right? That we're we're gonna make up this bullshit patina of, well, they were justified. You know, they just wanted to be free, right? Oh, that's right. And obvious the South nonsense. Was some, yeah. the Southern culture was noble and what whatever. <laughs> I just, yeah, just, right. Was it basically a closed fascist state run by uh people who were um, total, I don't want to get them off the hook by saying they were sociopaths, but they were sadists yeah. and they got, they enjoyed owning, torturing and murdering other human beings. So yeah. not entirely sure how the whole genteel thing came about. But, <laughs> right. Uh, well, you know, you th- those Southern uh, landowners had the CEO mentality that we see today, which is that, well, it's only business. This is just business. Yeah. I'm I'm getting yeah. these people to work for free as slaves, you know, because of the economy. And so therefore, it's okay to enslave them to uh, preserve our southern economy and therefore our southern way of life. And that was the bullshit justification for all of it. But one of my main concerns, Mary, about moving forward from our current point and using Reconstruction as kind of a a template for where we are right now today in 2021 is if we are still dealing with the damage from ending reconstruction and the lost cause 150 years after the civil war, my concern is by not reconstructing the country now that we're still going to be dealing with the fallout from this period of time, 150 years from now. And that's the thing that really depresses me. Are we going to have to wait that long now to repair the damage from this period of time? Well, part of the problem is just to, to, to go back quickly to what you were saying about the economic model of the southern slave states is the same mentality exists today. There, that's the reason the minimum wage, which is seven twenty five federally, yeah. hasn't been raised in how many how many years, decades? Right. So, um, you know, that's that's what happens when when the your main um, metric for is the country doing well is the economy or mm-hmm. worse it, because Donald's an idiot, the stock market. Um, anyway, I'm very worried um, because I think if we don't come to terms with because as you say, we it's not just coming to terms with, with what's happening now. We still have to go through all the coming to terms with Reconstruction and Jim Crow and mm-hmm. all of that stuff as well, plus school-to-prison pipeline and the all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, it's that if we don't do that um, and we don't understand what's required and what is required to do that is we need to become a democracy. Mm-hmm. And that can only happen if the Democrats get rid of the filibuster and expand the Supreme Court. If those things don't happen, then it's over. Yeah. Because if you think there will ever be a free and fair election again, if Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema have their way, then I would say you're wrong. (laughs) 
There, mm-hmm. and, and Democrats will never be able to win Arizona and Georgia again. And that's or Pennsylvania. And that's all they need. They need just need to win those three states by one vote. And we can run the table and it won't matter. Um, so the answer is yes, um, but America won't be America anymore. And, you know, along those lines, one thing that constantly weighs on me is the very real notion that politics is no longer about just debating the issues and whoever has the best set of facts at their disposal wins the argument. That is gone. Those days are over. It's now an ongoing existential crisis, isn't it? Knowing that if the other side wins, it could be the end of the republic as we know it. It's like, holy shit, there could be no more democracy after the next election. That's a terrible thing to have weighing on our shoulders constantly. It is uh, quite exhausting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're right. It's not about, it's not about policy at all. Um, and we, we, we see, see this most recently and how the whole Afghanistan thing played out on the right and in the media. Uh, it's just, it, they, they can't tell the truth about anything. Um, and it is an existential crisis. The problem is we're all exhausted. Yeah. Because there was no reprieve, maybe for a couple of hours on November 7th. Obviously, that was a very good thing, but it didn't last Mm -hmm. because the big lie started immediately. And very shortly after that, it became very obvious the Republicans weren't going to do anything just like they didn't do anything in 2016. And then the insurrection and on and on and on. And now the insurrection is this wonderful thing that happened with wonderful patriotic people. Um, and we still have seditionists serving in Congress. Mm-hmm. So what I try to remember, even though I'm very exhausted as well, <laughs> is, you know, bl- black people, uh, have been dealing with much, much worse unabated for centuries mm-hmm. and they're not given up. So how dare I? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we need to tap out on occasion if necessary, <laughs> but to get depressed or cynical, which is very hard not to do, um, isn't an option. And it, it's hard sometimes, especially when you know it's um, people who are supposed to be on your side. Like I sent out this totally innocuous tweet this morning mm. as soon as I heard about Texas, and it basically said. Um, I can't, I can't believe things are getting worse. Something, something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't think it was possible for things to keep getting worse. I think was my tweet. And then the response from like people who were allegedly in, in my camp were like, you know, uh, if that's, it's a mistake to say that things can always get worse. Like, oh my God. It's a fucking tweet that I repeated at like seven o'clock in the morning. Shall I correct it? The record oh, for you? God. Obviously I know things can always get worse, but you know what? I don't feel like being that cynical right now. I'm just depressed and sad and terrified. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, like sapping that, like having to expend energy. Now, obviously part of the problem is like, we're also, hypersensitive that like nor i think under normal circumstances i wouldn't give a shit but yeah. like that kind of stuff really bothers me now i don't know right it's the old notion the Patton oswalt thing of it's chaos be kind and if you're mm-hmm. on if you're generally in agreement with someone else on politics right now 
your best option is to just be kind. We don't need to be contradicting each other. We certainly don't need to be parsing each other's tweets right. and, and doing the same bullshit reactions to those things that are so endemic of uh, social media. It, it gets frustrating sometimes. Let's just be excellent to each other. I mean, it, again, we're all, you know, those of us who are of like mind and like values, we're all struggling with the same thing. So let's keep yep. that in mind. But elsewhere, politics has really become a blood sport. And yep. we're, we're now in danger personally, if we stick yep. our necks out. I, one of the first things I ever asked you on this show, Mary, was, are you okay? Are you safe? I asked this of uh, Dr. Leah Torres, who performs mm -hmm. abortions in, in uh, Alabama, of all places. Are you safe? Are you okay? Because I know that if you put yourself out there, and especially if your focus is on, you know, hot button issues, certainly like race or abortion or things like that, you're going to get in trouble. I mean, you're going to get doxxed. You're going to get stalked. And I'm personally still coming to terms with how to navigate this for the next 40 years of my life. If I live that long, how do I keep doing my career covering yeah. politics? If it's now become this blood sport where we're not just disagreeing, we're beating each other over the head, literally with weaponry. And that's how politics has devolved here. Well, and to be fair, we're not beating anybody over the head. It's all the other side doing it. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm I'm actually ashamed to admit this, but if I'm in a store and somebody's not wearing a mask, I leave. I don't ask them to put it on. Mm -hmm. Because I, for all I know, they'll like jump on me and start coughing in my face or something. <laughs> Yeah, because I don't trust them because they've, again, been given permission to do whatever the fuck they want, mm -hmm. even if it if it if it's physical violence, um, because they think Donald did it so they can do it with impunity. Um, I mean, when you let somebody get away with murdering 700,000 Americans like Robert E. Lee, like Donald John Trump. Why shouldn't you think that you can do whatever the fuck you want as long as you're doing it? from the right. So um, it is very worrisome because, again, all of this is being endorsed either quietly or explicitly by every single elected Republican. Yeah. Um, and it is it, it, it. These aren't isolated incidents. It is uh, political. And how do we navigate uh, the next however many years we have on the planet if we feel that it's incumbent upon us to keep doing the work. Um, and I don't know. I, I guess I, this probably isn't really comforting, but honestly, it happens to everybody on the left. Everybody I know who's a commentator or in politics gets death threats like like it's just a, a day ending in why. Um, yeah. So the good news is that um, very rarely are the threats um, carried out or even acted upon or planned. Um, so like I, I had I only had one serious threat in the last when I, I don't know how long it's been the last 700 billion millennia. <laughs> I think it's been since my first book came out. Um, and you know, the FBI was right on it. Oh, that's good. And nothing happened. Um, so, you know, it wasn't fun. 
having my a picture of my house and my address published on a website. But, you know, they flagged yeah. it immediately. They got in touch with me immediately and they took care of it. Yeah. So, you know, and I did what I felt I needed to do in order to feel comfortable. Um, but I think it's the same thing. We're de- we, we need to, again, be really clear. We're dealing with terrorists. Yep. And the best way to deal with terrorists is to face them. Mm-hmm. Just like with bullies and not back down. Cause that's what they want us to do. They want to keep us quiet. They want to. And that's, that's why I think that's one of the reasons they're so into guns because, um, you know, they, they think it's, I've, I've never understood this. People who, who can't go grocery shopping without three AK-47s attached to their bodies <laughs> think they're tough guys. Yeah. Okay, I walk down the, the, the mean streets of Manhattan at night without a weapon, mm-hmm. and I'm a wimp. Okay, but that aside, <laughs> it's because if you're – it's sort of like running into the maskless COVID carrier. You don't want to confront them because if somebody – if I go into – Goodness, I live in New York and Massachusetts. Um, if I'm somewhere and somebody's packing heat, I'm not going to confront them. Right. Because, you know, I, I have a sec- secondary black belt in Taekwondo. It's not really good against bullets if you're far <laughs> enough away from the person <laughs> with the gun. You mean you can't deflect a bullet with a nunchuck, Mary? You know, it's, I didn't that's, sadly that's study from Boogie Nights. I, I always have to quote Boogie Nights. That's one of that's my favorite movies. I haven't yeah. seen, I, wow, my bad. I haven't seen that in so long. How about that? Anyway, exactly. But you can't you can't do that, apparently. And <laughs> Wonder Woman is not typically hanging out with me. <laughs> that's right. Oh, man. Yeah, and, you know, going back to Ted Lasso, uh, one of the things Jason Sudeikis has said about the character of Ted Lasso is, you know, we can't change the things around us, but we can change how we react to them. Right. And, and that of course is a project made harder by the fact that, um, you know, a lot of us are feeling pretty weak right now. Yeah. Um, Cause being able to do that does require some inner strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I, I think so many of us just feel really raw and um, hurt mm-hmm. that it's, it does make it a little bit harder in, in the moment to say, you know, I just kind of need to take a step back here yeah. and just be kind, whatever it is, especially if somebody's pushing our buttons, but it is definitely something to aspire to. And I think one thing that would help, and I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody with this, but uh, just as I said during the election, I, I think it's even more true now. Stop wasting your time on people who um, who support this cruelty, who endorse mm-hmm. this cruelty, who are this cruel. Stop wasting your time on them. Yeah. It's draining. Yeah. It Nothing is going to make a difference. Unless it's somebody you really care about and you think they're worth saving. Jill Weinbank schooled me on this <laughs> appropriately. So <laughs> that, you you know, there's some people you don't want to lose hope. In, and I understand that entirely. And in which, in that case, if you really do think deep down, they're still a good person then you just talk to them about, you know, the horrific consequences of the last four years and why, how, why they're okay with it and yeah. maybe get to them that way. Everybody else, just don't even let them in your head for a second. They're not worth the energy. 
Yeah, I mean, we when we reconvene here on the show, Mary, at some point in the not too distant future, we got to talk about the uh, dealing with our own friends and family who may have been sucked into the red hat cult and and how how best to navigate those very very choppy waters. But in the meantime. What do you think? Is there a way to pull up before the airplane crashes into the ground? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we're dependent on other people to do that. Um, the only people who can ensure uh, that we have the opportunity to do that are, are elected Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, and all we can do right now is it impress upon them in a concerted, unified way that their ridiculous clinging to these anti-democratic policies in the name of saving democracy, I guess, yeah. um, is going to get us all killed. And I'm, I'm not kidding. I mm-hmm. mean, between COVID running rampant in these red states, which, by the way, you can't contain COVID as long as we still have people flying – Um, And the millions of women who've just been put in harm's way in Texas, um, you know, people are dying. And if like the California, if if people think that the California recall or uh, that California is becoming a a red state, um, given that it's, you know, kind of at the forefront of combating climate change and it's the seventh largest economy in the world, if people think that that's not going to affect the rest of the country, they're insane. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we need to um, impress upon our elected officials as best, who are Democrats, obviously, as best as we can, because for reasons beyond my comprehension, they seem not to understand the seriousness of the threat we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. They seem not to understand that, not only is bipartisanship not possible, it's also not something to be desired. How do you make common cause with a Republican Party that is against democracy? Why would you want to make common cause with a party that is fascists? Yeah. So I'm not entirely sure why sitting senators don't understand these things when you and I do. Um, but clearly they need, they need to be, either they need to be educated more or like more horrible shit needs to happen. Like just happened in Texas. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what else you need to convince you that the Supreme court needs to be expanded. Oh God. He stole three seats from us. Yeah. Six of the seven, no, sorry. Five of the six Republican quote unquote Republican justices were installed by people who lost the popular vote. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? Th- that's fair. <laughs> yeah. The, the Supreme Court now represents about 25% of the American people. So I guess, I mean, maybe bad things need to keep happening, but the longer <laughs> we wait, the harder it's going to be to stop the slide. The book is called The Reckoning, maybe the most important volume of our time. Just the right book, just the right topic for this period of time, Mary. So congratulations on this uh, piece of work. It's an incredible feat. It's available everywhere you buy your books. And of course, you can follow Mary at uh, Mary L. Trump on Twitter. Links in the description for all of it. 
Thank you so much, my friend, for returning to the show. I hope we're not pestering you too much. Are you kidding? Well, no, this is, you're amazing. I love hanging out with you. I wish it could be in person at some point. And we could just talk Star Trek. Very, very, very soon. Yeah. American democracy. Yeah. Fingers crossed. We got to solve democracy and then we can get together and talk about Star Trek. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Okay. Take care, Mary. We'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. You bet. Bye-bye.